Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio. Speed City. Good evening, gearheads. Welcome to your Sunday night with Speed City. This is John Massengale, and I am in the studio in Austin, Texas. And I am joined over Zoom by Mr. Bob Varsha. Mr. Varsha, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great, John. Thanks. I caught up on my sleep after my big day at my local track at Road Atlanta yesterday. Uh, and I'm ready to go. All right. Well, I tell you what, I have not been more excited to do a show because... This Ford announcement is just fantastic. I know it leaked out in the press early, and we kind of all saw this yeah. coming for a few weeks now. But this is such fantastic news, and that's the big topic of the of today's show: is Ford returning to Formula One? But and we've got lots to lots of guests, lots of things to talk about because we have the Ford Performance Motorsports Global Director Mark Rushbrook that uh, Chris Medlin did an interview so with Mister Rushbrook. And Chris Medlin also did an interview with Red Bull boss Christian Horner. So we have both of those interviews on the Ford topic. We're going to talk all about the Ford history. And, Bob, you got to sit down with Pietro Fittipaldi on talking about his continuing with Haas F1. That was pretty pretty fun, it looked like to me. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, he's a really well-spoken guy. Um, and I'm as I'll say in the interview, I am astonished that a guy with his breadth and depth of experience and proven ability is not a regular somewhere else. I mean, he's raced stock cars, open wheelers, IndyCar, Formula One, all of these different series. And yet, you know, he's out there at age 26, kind of, you know, picking up gig work. Fortunately, he's got a deal with Haas, as you mentioned, to be the test and reserve driver. I asked him exactly what all that is entailed. So, yeah, I mean, here's a kid that I'd really like to see more of. Uh, racing in the years to come. Yeah, I know he's one of my favorites, Bob. He's such an he's mm -hmm. such a nice guy too in person. Run into him a bunch out at Coda because uh, you know because his obligations for Haas are not quite as heavy duty, so he's got more time to hang out with with goofy right. you know journalists like us. But he's fun and <laughs> he, and he's a great guy. So uh, yeah. what we've got. Now, that let's not forget his sports car experience running the European Le Mans series. He's been to the twenty four hours race there. Yeah. distinction so i mean the, the guy just drips talent i know it's amazing uh we're also going to talk a little indy car i know nascar is going on right now we're up against the nascar clash but uh we're, we're going to talk some indy car because they did some testing got a clip or two right. from indy car that we're going to play but let's uh let's oh and we got jonathan green we did a clip with him just a minute ago down in new zealand for the castrol toyota formula regional oceana championship we got some americans well doing done. great down there yeah, they are. And that's, um, yeah, that series is growing in importance and uh, people are paying attention to it. And we uh, we're giving them the boost that they uh, that they deserve in this country because some really good guys have come out of that series. And everybody knows the Kiwis and the Aussies uh, love their motor racing. Yeah. And man, they hold that series up high. Well, Bob, let's jump into mm -hmm. the Ford returning to Formula One. And I got the right guy because. I, the, the the returning is the key here because Ford has a rich history in Formula One. But let's talk about the details here. So Ford has decided to team up with Red Bull on the powertrain side, and mm -hmm. and and which we know has stemmed from the Honda power unit side. But 
the way I read all of this, and we'll hear from the the gentleman, uh, Mark Rushbrook, from Ford, but the, the, the idea is that Ford is going to be running the essentially half of the power unit side or engineering or bringing their resources to that. And they've said it. They, they want to be on the electric side of this. And, sure. you know, with their their commitment to moving to electric and hybrid and sustainability and all that. So that's yeah, the sustainable fuels is a big part of it, too, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and IndyCar was running some sustainable fuels in this test and apparently going to be running this season as well. But but this Ford deal was mm-hmm. so exciting. I mean, I, I now have visions of Ford versus GM you know, with Cadillac, with Andretti, if that comes to fruition. So it's just. <laughs> and if you think Ferrari and Mercedes and Honda <laughs> are going to sit by and let those two American giants come in here and dominate the show, you're kidding yourself. <laughs> but one thing I need to point out, John, is that, it, yeah, it's great Ford is coming. But in the context of six manufacturers, six big worldwide brands that have signed up to produce power units, beginning in 2026. It's not just Ferrari and Renault and Mercedes anymore. You've got Ford in there. You've got Honda in there. And it's um, and you've got Audi coming. So, you know, we're going from three to six in the number of different interpretations of the rules when it comes to power units and drive lines. And that's terribly exciting, I think. Yeah, no doubt about it. That is, uh, <laughs> I think there's so much going on right now. It's really stunning to just... You, it's hard to even keep up with everything that's happening in Formula One right now, particularly when it comes to the United States influence. And, you know, you, again, you have to point back to Drive to Survive. But but I want to I go ahead and plug into this conversation the history of Formula One first before we hear from any of these interviews. Because, Bob, I think Ford's history, you know, everything from the the DFV engine back in the 60s to the 80s, I mean, mm-hmm. tremendous history, don't they? Uh, absolutely. I mean, there was a time when there were two power unit or engine builders on the grid. There were two Ferrari race cars. Everybody else on the grid was using that golden Ford Cosworth DFE. I mean, the engine was magic. It debuted in 1967, as I recall, and it was a momentous occasion. It was the Dutch Grand Prix, the same race at which Dan Gurney's All-American Racers debuted their Eagle Westlake V12 engine. I think Gurney split the front row Lotus Cosworths of Jim Clark and Graham Hill. Clark went on and won the race. But later on that year at Spa-Francorchamps, as we all know, the Gurney Westlake came through and, uh, and won the race. The first time for an American driver in an American car that he built as a company. Uh, But that ignores the fact that Ford was the giant in the room for the longest time. What, 155 Grand Prix victories. Um, It it was a spectacular piece of engineering. Congratulations to Keith Duckworth and and Mike Costin from Cosworth, uh, who put that thing together. Um, And then, of course, Ford was involved with Jackie Stewart's Paul Stewart Racing Formula One team. In fact, Jackie used Ford to finance it, then turned around and sold it to Ford for tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, which I think is one of the great sales pitches of all time. And then it became Jaguar, which Ford basically owned outright at the time. That came to naught and eventually became Red Bull. And so having Ford back with Red Bull again is kind of bringing the story full circle. Yeah. And and Bob, this went on for such, you know, you said 1967. But I'm just looking at some of the stats all the way into 1980. In 81, they won mm-hmm. eight of the 15 wins for Ford powered cars with either Williams, Brabham, McLaren. Uh, right. I mean, uh, crazy. And then half of the 16 races were won by Ford, en- Ford engines in 82. So, uh-huh. I mean, I guess it says 85 was the last season for that, uh, for that engine that, yeah. that was so dominant. But Right. But really. The double four valve DFE. And it jumped the pond and became the IndyCar engine to have for many years as well. And it was turbocharged and, and just went on and on and on. It's an amazing piece of automotive history. I mean, I, I think some people say, and you could easily make this argument, it's one of, one of, if not the greatest racing engine of all time. Oh, I would say so. I would call it number one. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to play this interview that Chris did for us um, 
it with Christian Horner first because he caught up with him, actually caught up with him in New York earlier in the week. I think it was actually before it was officially announced. But yeah, this is Chris Medlin with uh, Red Bull boss Christian Horner. So Christian, we are sheltering from the freezing conditions outside uh, in Manhattan at the Classic Car Club. And it's been a big day for Red Bull because not only have you launched your 2023 season here in New York City, but there's been the announcement that you'll be partnering with Ford on the powertrains from 2026 onwards. Just how big is that deal? That's huge news for us. I mean, it's a new chapter within our, our history for 2026. Of course, you know, Red Bull powertrains um, is a startup, um, you know, created 18 months ago. And what we've done in a short space of time is, is phenomenal. And I think that strategically to, to um, enter into an agreement like this with Ford that gives us, you, you know, technical um, know-how, particularly on EV development and cell technology and software implementation with one of the biggest OEMs in the world. For us, is a, it's a great tie-up, and I think that um, uh, you know, it gives us uh, confidence you know, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with you know, some of the other great manufacturers that have obviously committed to 2026. Um, that uh, you know, we won't be missing any short in any area. Um, it's very impressive to think that the names you've been linked with over the last year, about talking to about partnerships, whatever. So if I can put it in one way, what did the Ford partnership give you that the Porsche one didn't? And that's two amazing brands to be talking about. I mean, they're two amazing brands. I think, um, you know, we had some uh, positive discussion with Porsche. Um, in the end, it, uh, it didn't come to a conclusion. But I think what we saw in our discussions from a very early stage with Ford was that there was a genuine... Um, desire to do something um, in a manner that fitted with with our own outlook in terms of there was um, there was no interest in, in equity or, or the direction of, of steering um, the technical side of the business so um, it was a very straightforward deal there was a desire from Bill Ford and Jim Farley I think um, technically commercially um, it, it just felt right and you know, Ford's such a strong brand, such a powerful brand, particularly in the in the U.S. market, um, which again is such a key growth market for Formula One. It just felt like, do you know what, this the stars align with this, and I think in life the deals that sometimes are, you know, the ones that, that that are the best deals, are the ones that are the easiest deals, are the most natural, and and this had all those hallmarks. And, and what does this deal then? bring to Red Bull Powertrain? Because you're building your whole department now. Is, is this kind of plugging a gap that you saw that you might have? I think so. I mean, it, it very much focuses on 2026. Um, and so for us, it it opens the suite of um, R&D uh, labs that they have, particularly on on the EV side, you know, on cell technology, on software deployment and so on. And even on combustion there, um, you know, there's, there's, there's probably something that we can, can learn. And I think that, uh, you know, that, that's tremendously um, uh, exciting for, you know, for the, for the whole business. And I think that uh, for us, it just puts us in a stronger position over the next three years as we uh, gear up for, for, you know, seeing the first Red Bull Ford engine fire into life and down the pit lane at the beginning of 2026. I mean, it's an amazing full circle story, though, because obviously Ford sold the team to what's become Red Bull. How proud are you of what Red Bull has then become to be in this position now where you're partnering with such massive brands and having so many others knocking on the door wanting to partner with you? Well, we've got, um, you know, the, the company has come so, such a long way. The team is, you know, when it, when it acquired, you know, the business from Ford, Ford had the belief and the trust in, uh, they had other offers on the table that they could have gone for. They believed that Red Bull was the right you know, uh, company to take it on and um, you know we did that and we developed it and we've we've done what we've done over the last 18 years and uh, we've attracted some great brands that we're now working with like likes of Oracle and ExxonMobil and Tag Heuer and you know so many you know, of the 42 partners that we have on the car so um, this now is is effectively completing the circle where you know it's a very different relationship with Ford to what it was you know previously um, and uh, yeah, it's um, it, it, it's exciting to think of the possibilities. They've come to us because of how they want to position their brand as well. They want to, you know, be the challenger to be to push the boundaries in the same way that we do. And um, there's no better way of doing that than to join forces with Red Bull. And, and what does it say though about the attractiveness as F1 of the whole 
the what does it say about the attractiveness of F1 as a whole as well right now? Because GM is showing interest in coming in. Like we've mentioned, some of the other partners, Audi are coming. Like does the sport has it ever been stronger in your view? I don't think it's ever been stronger than it is today. And I think that um, you know, thinking back three, four years ago, it would have been unimaginable that um, the brands that are currently involved and looking to get involved, um, you know, it just wouldn't have happened. And I think that all credit to, to the Liberty guys of you know turning the things around and i think digital media and 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 things like the netflix series of you know this is a direct output of of that strategy because it's engaged the american public um and suddenly as a showcase to showcase your product there's no better place in the world to do it than formula one question thanks very much for your time all right thank you yeah bob that's some interesting things i, I was taking some notes here Number one, mm -hmm. this seems like a win-win for them because Red Bull was didn't want to give up control to Porsche, right? That was to me that was the biggest thing. Um, but the reason I say the win-win because he was talking about how it was such an easy, natural deal. Well, I, I think it's because of the way Ford wanted to do this, and I like the way they're doing this. They're they're not they're not just <laughs> dipping a toe with a branding exercise, but they're also not not diving in the deep end as a full full-blown works team, for example, they're, right. you know, they're doing half of the power unit, the electric sign. I think this is, it's got good risk versus reward potential for Ford. It's, you know, they, they're not, they're not going to be one of those giant flops. You know, it doesn't feel like they would be if it wasn't a huge success because of the way they're going into it, but it seems like a win-win. What do you think? I agree. You know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, keep my powder dry until I see how this works when the time comes, I had questions about Red Bull, which of course acquired the intellectual property of the Honda power units that they used for so many years. Honda is still building and maintaining those units. So, you know, the idea of Honda leaving Formula One seems fairly bogus to me, but Honda is also coming back, as I mentioned in 2026, where does Ford, you know, blend with what's already been accomplished with Red Bull powertrains by Honda? Now, Red Bull may have all of the rights to it, and Honda has nothing to say about it. That's fine. That makes it an even bigger coup for Ford because they're going to go right to the limits of, uh, of modern combustion technology combined with uh, electric propulsion. It's all great. And the, um, the historical nuances that we've been talking about, I think, make it an even better story because Ford has been a part of Formula One for so long and has so many close ties to Red Bull um, I'd love to hear how this negotiation went down after the Red Bull Porsche deal fell apart. Everybody was older and wiser, and I'm sure um, Ford found out right away what Red Bull wanted to give them in terms of responsibilities and privileges. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it works in lots of different ways, and I wish them all the best, and I think it's really exciting, particularly for those American fans that, um, that Christian mentioned here in the United States. Yeah, you know, uh, he talked about the 42 sponsors they have. Well, they mm -hmm. have, they have almost half of those are now American. They have been doing yep. a fantastic, you know, Oracle number one, that is a huge, if not one of the biggest in, uh, biggest deals in Formula One, that Oracle deal. It's like sure. a half, half a billion dollars over, I can't remember how many years, but that's a, that's yeah. a huge, huge deal. And they, they have really gone after the American sponsors. So I think, yeah, I think yeah. Yeah. Well, Red Bull is a, it's a marketing company. That's what they do. They yep. don't build street cars. They market that caffeine laced energy drink all over the world. They're spectacularly successful at it. So, you know, what sponsor wouldn't want to be involved? We already know Formula One is the greatest marketing platform on an annual basis in the world. Only the World Cup and the Olympics beat it and they're quadrennial events. So, if you want to get your name out around the world, Formula One is the way to do it. And um, I think this is, as you say, a coup for Ford and for Red Bull mutually. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go straight into this interview that Chris Medlin did for us because he caught up with the head of basically the head of Ford Motorsports. It's Performance Motorsports Global Director Mark Rushbrook. So. I'm here with the global director for Ford Performance Motorsports, Mark Rushbrook, and it's huge news, Mark, that Ford is coming back to Formula One. To announce it here as well in New York City, just 
how big a day is this in, I guess, Ford's motorsport history? Well, it's an incredible big day for, for the company, for all of our employees. Motorsports is part of the fabric of the company, back to 1901 sweepstakes, Henry Ford winning a race and forming the company in 1903. And so motorsports is part of who we are as a company. And we race in so many different series and they're important for, for many different reasons. But to have the commitment from the company, from our senior leadership to come back to Formula One in the way that we are with a great uh, strategic technical partner like Red Bull, it's the, the right time to be coming back to the sport. It's the right way to be coming back to come back. And uh, it's, gr it's great to finally announce it. And now we've got a lot of work to do to develop that power unit and go racing in three years. Well, just to follow up on that, as you mentioned, the right time and the right partner. So why now? Why is now the right time to be coming back to Formula One? And why Red Bull? Yeah, so we watch, we've watched how the sport has been developing. We watch all the different series. And two years ago when we started hearing from Formula One and the FIA about some of the changes they were making to the future, it started to pique our interest and ask, wanted us to, we wanted to understand more. So some of those things were the commitment to a sustainable fuel for 2026, for the series to, to be carbon net zero for 2030. Um, and for the power unit, while still staying hybrid, there's an increased element of electrification in it. So it now gives us a more relevant te technology transfer opportunity, two-way transfer. So we can bring everything that we're learning about full electric vehicles into the sport to uh, contribute to the performance and the success, but also to learn, to get even better and to bring that back for our road cars. So that's an important pillar in motorsports. We've got to have that, that technology connection. The other part is where we were watching the sport is seeing how the sport was changing and growing. A great product of racing on, on track, but also uh, with different digital elements like Drive to Survive, growing the fan base in a more diverse fan base. So now that gives us an opportunity to connect with more people or relevant future customers that, that we want to have. So at that point we said, okay, Formula One, we really need to give this even more consideration. It makes sense, but now how do we get in? Um, there's limited ways, obviously, right? There's only 10 teams at this point. There's prospective teams coming in. So as we went uh, through 2022, we talked to a lot of different teams. Some came to us. We went to some prospective teams coming to us with what they were trying to put together, really trying to make sure we had the right match. But out of all of those, when we talked to Red Bull, it was very clear from the very first discussion that what they wanted in a partner as they were embarking on their program independently for development of a power unit and what we wanted in terms of what we could bring from a technology perspective with our resources, with our, with our people, with our knowledge to complement what they already had. It was really good and interesting to them. It was really good and interesting to us. And I think the cultures of the two companies are very similar in terms of uh, how we treat people, respect people, um, but also wanting a winning culture. Uh, that that very first discussion accelerated very quickly to additional discussions and very serious consideration that it was the right match and here we are today. Yeah, and, and today we're here at the Classic Car Club in Manhattan where they're already de-rigging actually, if anyone can hear it around us, but um, obviously things won't take place here anymore. They're going to take place, I, I assume, maybe uh, in Michigan, maybe it's going to be uh, in Milton Keynes. Like, how is the setup going to look from 2026 in terms of where are your resources? Where are your expertise going to be used? Yeah, so the, the foundation of the Red Bull Racing Team and Red Bull Ford powertrains is in Milton Keynes. And it's, it's really good seeing on that campus um, the very focused effort because to put the best race car on the track and to win, you've got to have the best total car in, with the power unit integrated as part of it. So that all needs to live together. And what they already had in plans in terms of the, the new building for the powertrains team with a dyno and all the test infrastructure there, that's the right place to keep everything or the focal point physically. Certainly we have uh, significant global resources that can contribute to that. So where it makes sense to do work or testing in other parts of the world using our resources, we will use those. And the people focus will also be in Milton Keynes, but supported with our global team that we already have. We've got people in the United States, in, in Europe, in Australia, supporting all of our racing programs. That will continue, 
and ultimately have some people on site at Milton Keynes as well as, as part of the, the power unit development. And, and we've talked about the electrification side of things and the hybridization, but what about the, the sustainable fuel that Formula One's going to as well? Was that something that was attractive or, or didn't that quite align? No, absolutely. That's very aligned because, yes, the electrification is important for us as a company for our future, and we've got a lot of resources focused on developing those full electric vehicles for our customers. But also we know we're going to be, be building and selling combustion engine vehicles for some time, more in different parts of the world than others. But that's an important part, as you see in icons like, like Mustang. But we want to do it in a responsible, sustainable way. So sustainability is important to us. Uh, we've already experimented and worked with sustainable fuels in, in racing in November. We used a low-carbon fuel from Shell to power a uh, Ranger Raptor, which finished successfully at the Baja 1000 in November. And this is just taking that to another level to have a sustainable fuel in Formula One. So, yeah, that was absolutely an important element. You did talk, though, a little bit about the different partners that you spoke to, or some came to you, and you said prospective partners. Is it fair to say, then, that Andretti were, were coming to see if there was a partnership uh, there? What I will say is there were a lot of prospective partners that, that came to us, yeah. But it must be an exciting time to be getting in because of that interest. It's, it's huge across America right now from not just fans or people watching or sponsors, from actual partners wanting to be involved. Yeah, there's the, the sport is really good, and people want to be part of something that is, is as successful. So it's a great time, and it'll be interesting to see uh, the process that the sport goes through as to whether an 11th team and or a 12th team come in or not. Um, we're here to, to race and be, be part of it, and we love racing against other manufacturers, so uh, very interested to see so much interest from all the other manufacturers. And you mentioned loving racing. Does this have any impact on any of the other Ford Motorsport uh, kind of commitments? No, it does not. We're, we are, we've restructured in many ways the way that we're looking at racing and the way that, that we're using it, but we're, we're definitely committed to our, to our programs. Our four pillars really are Racing Mustang, uh, which we race globally and all different levels, professional down to customer race cars. We're committed to off-road. And that includes uh, M Sport and WRC with the, the Puma Hybrid and the full pyramid of cars underneath it. Uh, Bronco racing in North America with King of the Hammers and Baja. Ranger racing at Baja, as I, as I said, and more coming globally for that. The third pillar is our full electric demonstrators, as, as you've seen with the uh, Mach-E 1400, Cobra Jet 1400, Supervan 4, 2000 horsepower, more of those coming. So those are all very strategic and fit together. And, and Formula One, as that developed as a fourth pillar, is very much an overlay to all of that because it's, it's not specifically targeted as, at a nameplate like a Mustang or a Bronco or a Ranger. It is targeted at the brand and it is targeted at electrification. Uh, so it's a great addition for us and no reason to change any of the other great programs we already have. I think people will be really pleased to hear that and it's great to see that investment uh, taking place. And just finally, when does that investment start actually happening? So I guess, you know, it's, it's long-term planning, but yeah, is it, is it go time already? It's go time. Let's go. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, it's go time. That, that would be so exciting to be involved in that project. Uh, something like this from the ground up. I, and you can hear that he's, he sounds like he's the right guy too, because he's, he's saying all the right things, but he's also got that enthusiasm you heard at the end. Yeah, and it's good to hear that Ford remains committed to all of its other programs, NASCAR, what have you, um, while it invests in what is bound to be a, a fairly complex, wide-ranging, and expensive uh, Formula One program. All right, well, let's go to a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to have that interview that Bob did with Pietro Fittipaldi, Haas F1 reserve driver. You're listening to Sunday Night with Speed City, back after this. As a rider, you know what you like. The power, the feel, the ride. When it comes to gear, you know what keeps you safe. Ducati Austin provides riders with the finest in day and easy leathers. The best the market offers. Visit Ducati Austin on Breaker Lane just east of I-35 and throw your leg over the most iconic sports bike ever built. Ducati. Even take it for a test ride or see what's been described as art on wheels from MV Augusta. You know what you like. See it at Ducati Austin. Online at DucatiAustin.com. 
Winding Road Racing is your first and best choice for all the essentials for a great weekend at the track. We're racers, and we love helping racers. With a full selection of racing gear in stock, get geared up with all the safety equipment needed to meet all the latest Snell FIA and SFI regulations. Outfit your car with a comprehensive lineup of racing necessities, and when you need to find a few more tents, turn to data acquisition systems from AIM Sports, VBOX, and others. Austin-based with shops in California, Georgia, and Kentucky, the source for all your racing needs. Winding Road Racing, windingroadracing.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hello to everyone, this is Gunther Steiner, this is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, well, we are going to go straight into this interview that Mr. Varsha did for us uh, with Pietro Fittipaldi, reserve driver for Haas F1. Let's hear that. Well, the racing season is fully underway now with the Rolex 24 at Daytona last weekend, IndyCar getting into preseason testing, Formula One liveries being revealed starting yesterday. Well, actually on the 31st with the the Haas MoneyGram livery reveal. Of course, these are not the race cars we'll see testing in Bahrain and race throughout the Formula One season, but that's a whole different story. And who better to talk about it with than a guy who has had a taste of all of those series and a whole lot more, Pietro Fittipaldi, third-generation racer. Pietro, thanks for taking the time to join me. Uh, Thank you for the invite, Bob. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. It's always a pleasure to speak to you guys. So where are you calling in from, may I ask? So I'm in North Carolina now in in Davidson. I just got back from the Daytona 24 hours, and my, my parents live over here. So came back to North Carolina, and I'll be going to the U.K., um, on Sunday to be there with Haas next week. Okay, I got to start with a really stupid question. In my experience of being around these guys, I know Nico Rosberg, and forgive me if my picture breaks up, Nico Rosberg was born in Germany, does not speak his father, K.K. Rosberg's native Finnish. Tom Blumquist, who sat on pole for the Rolex 24 in which you participated, does not speak Swedish like his famous father, Stig Blumquist. My question for you is, you were born in Miami. Do you speak Portuguese? Yes, I speak Portuguese uh, fluently and uh, and Spanish as well, and a little bit of Italian. Bueno. <laughs> a Renaissance man. Okay, uh, let's get right into the Haas thing. Congratulations on re-signing as the test and reserve driver for the newly renamed Money Graham Haas Formula One team. What do you think of that new livery? I, I really like it. Um, I want to see it in person. It always looks a little bit different in person. So I know we have a shakedown um, at some point next week, which I'll be attending. Uh, so it'll be interesting to to see how the car looks in person. Um, I'm not sure that they'll be releasing any images yet of the car after the shakedown. I know it'll be kind of like a filming day, but to be released uh, later on, uh, maybe in the uh, end of February or March. But um, yeah, I think the car looks very nice, looks super aggressive. And uh, let's hope it's, uh, it's fast on track as well. It, I'm not sure if this is a question you can answer, but in your opinion, 
what does that new MoneyGram sponsorship mean to this team? Is it a significant boost? Oh, definitely, yes. So I, I know, you know, we were always struggling to get to that budget cap, um, even when they lowered the, uh, you know, when they put a budget cap into the mm -hmm. uh, Formula One system. But um, we were always struggling to hit it. And now I think with this sponsorship, we are at the budget cap. So um, that's what I believe. So running, you know, um, at maximum capacity and uh, still not the same as being like a manufacturer team, for example. I think obviously the manufacturers who produce their own powertrains and stuff, they, they definitely have more um, resources. But this MoneyGram title sponsorship is extremely important. And uh, it gives a team, you know, that uh, that funding that that they need to be able to continue developing the car throughout the season and preparing for the upcoming seasons as well. For those who don't understand, in this era of so little on-track testing in Formula One, what do the duties of a test and reserve driver entail? What are you responsible for? So for sure, I need to be ready at every race weekend to make sure if something happens, I jump in the car and I'm performing at my best. Um, that, you know, happened in 2020 when Roman had the, his accident and I had to jump in for two F1 races. Um, and, you know, I'm testing the car throughout the year, helping with the development of the car, um, providing my inputs. Um, last test I did with the car was uh, this past uh, uh this the December we did the postseason testing, and we we're testing uh, the 2023 tires already, and uh, just you know providing my feedback for the team. That's always important, and uh, and then doing a lot of simulator work because there's not a lot of testing days throughout the year. You might get I mean maybe seven to eight test days throughout the whole year that you have to share between your two uh, race drivers and your reserve driver. It's like eight days split between three guys. It's it's not a lot of time, so. A lot of the you know development work is done on simulation programs with or without the drivers. I know engineers have simulation programs where they simulate setups for each individual track, but they can do it without a driver. And as well, um, do simulation uh, work with a driver behind the wheel. And uh, that's uh, a lot of what we do. And you do all of this in the context of a pretty busy schedule uh, racing other stuff. Uh, are you planning to do more sports cars? And by the way, congratulations on that sixth in class at the Rolex, 12th overall in the LNP2. Uh, nice job. Are you going to be doing more sports cars? Yeah, um, for sure. So I, I'd be, I'm going to be racing full-time the, the IMSA championship in the LNP2 class. Our next race is at Sebring. And I'll also be racing um, the World Endurance Championship as well in the LNP2 car. And coincidentally, this, the, our next race is also Sebring. So Sebring in March, we'll be having a double header. I'll be racing Friday, um, the World Endurance Championship. It'll be a 10-hour race. And then I sleep it off, and Saturday, I'm back in the car and racing IMSA for a 12-hour race. So I've never done that before. That's going to be pretty interesting. And like jumping from one car to the other in between practices and qualifying and stuff, it's going to be a, I'm going to have to make sure I plan it extremely well. Uh, but I'm super happy to be doing sports car racing. I, I really love it. And I've been doing, you know, very well with it starting last year. And then now, you know, racing with Team Jota, um, who are the current champions. And, uh, and as well, Rick Ware Racing, who, you know, the goal is to win the IMSA Championship this year. We were looking good at Daytona, possibly fighting for a podium finish. But a couple hours to go, our, uh, our brakes exploded and uh, we lost a couple laps. We were able to recover, but... Um, I, I think we had a shot to, to be fighting for the podium there at the end of Daytona. Welcome to endurance racing. Um, before we leave Haas, you mentioned Roman Grosjean's crash that forced you into the seat for, for two races. Were you in Bahrain when he went through the fence and exploded in flames and, uh, and a legend was born? Yes, I was in Bahrain. Um, we're all, you know, all watching at the garage and uh, obviously when the crash happened, when a Formula One car explodes, you know the impact has to be massive. So uh, we knew it wasn't. Um, uh, it was it was a scary crash. We knew it was a massive impact just to be able to break the Formula One fuel cell and to cause that explosion. And uh, we we didn't know how he was at the time, um, but when we saw him get out of the car and you know them getting him, the marshals being able to get him out of the car, the medical team pulling him out of the car and him running to the ambulance. We knew that um, he was well, but obviously in crashes like that, when you're having to 
uh, breathe in so much smoke and there's fire and stuff, you never know what the after effects are. Uh, and that's always really scary because you might be able to get out of the car, everything's fine, but you were breathing smoke for the past 40 you know, minutes or 40 seconds, sorry, uh, 40 mm -hmm. minutes. And that really um, hurts your, your lungs and everything. But luckily he was fine with that. Obviously he had a burn in his hand. Uh, which was very severe. Actually, I saw him at Daytona and Gunther came to see us as well. By coincidence at Daytona, where our garage was, it was my garage to the left of me, literally to the left, it was Roman Grosjean in his Lamborghini. And to the right of me was Esteban Gutierrez in the other LMP2 car. So it was the three <laughs> Haas drivers at Daytona, one garage, like one next to each other. And then Gunther came to see us and uh, we had a chat, me, Gunther, and uh, Roman. Um, but yeah, when he had his accent there, it was a, it was definitely a scary time for for the whole team. Gunther, of course, is Gunther Steiner, who's the team principal at Money Graham Haas. What did it do to your head, if I can be so blunt, when you watched that crash? And then the team said, "Okay, you're in next week." I mean, the race was the following weekend. What were you thinking when you saw the potential that was made obvious by Grosjean's crash? You know, obviously. Uh, and, you know, the call came in on Monday morning. Um, I woke up and Gunther sent me a message asking me to come to the track. And, you know, I was, wasn't sure what it was about. You know, I had an idea. Maybe it had something to do with Roman or maybe I did something wrong that he wasn't happy about. But um, I wasn't sure, you know. So I, I arrived at the track, um, arrived at the team hospitality. And Gunther was sitting there next to a Stuart Morrison, who I think you might know is the team PR. Uh, head of communications at Haas and they had some papers in front of them and I was like Jesus I must have done something really bad or something like that <laughs> you're gonna be racing uh, this weekend for us so your first Formula One GP you have to sign these papers here and you're in the car so that was the Monday following the accident and Gunther told me you know he had gone to the hospital um, to see Roman uh, they weren't allowing many people to go but Gunther was able to go there and he asked, he, you know, he let Roman know that he was going to put me in the car. And Roman was very happy about that and super supportive. Um, and yeah, and then I did my first Formula One GP there at the the Bahrain GP or the Sakir GP, as they call it. And then my second uh, Formula One race was the following week in, in Abu Dhabi. That's a pretty amazing story in itself and not often talked about after that spectacular crash. Let's talk about the Formula One cars. Of course, they were new from the ground up last year. You spent time in them. Um, they'll be refined, but not uh, a revolution this year. How would you compare driving the 2022-23 version of a Formula One car compared with the one that came before? They're, um, they're more difficult to drive, uh, these new generation Formula One cars. They're heavier. The tires are heavier. Um, you know, the wheels are heavier, um, everything in general with the car, it's heavier and stiffer. So you just have to, you feel like you have to hustle the car a lot more. Um, when, you know, the car slides or understeers, everything happens a little bit slower. So when you go correct the car, it's uh, much slower um, motions. Uh, the previous generation car, it felt a lot more stuck to the ground. It felt lighter. And it felt faster, to be honest. It was more enjoyable to drive. Um, but the good thing about these new cars is you're, the drivers are more prone to making mistakes. So in the race, um, you can see some, you know, maybe uh, unpredictable things uh, happen, you know, with drivers locking up, uh, you know, losing the rear of the car and in the middle of the high-speed corner. Um, so the drivers are more prone to making mistakes. And... Uh, as well, you're able to follow closer with these cars. They're less uh, wing aero dependent, uh, much more dependent on the floor to create the downforce. Um, so you're able to follow uh, cars a lot closer and that in, in general makes the, the racing better. One of our listeners, Drew, has submitted a two-part question. One part is, will you race at Sebring? And you've already told us yes both in the 10-hour World Endurance Race and the 12-hour WeatherTech Series Race. Good luck to you with that. His other question, though, is what kind of overlap, if any, is there between the technical teams in Formula One and NASCAR? Um, between, uh, you mean with Haas or, or is with that? With Haas, yes. 
Uh, no, I think that there isn't much of a overlap because they're, they're so different, the cars and the regulations are so different. And, you know, the, the Haas, Haas team, uh, they have an office here next to my, <clears throat> where I live in Kannapolis, where they have the NASCAR shop and then the a Formula One shop. But all, or I'd say most of the engineers and most of the mechanics, uh, they're all based in either in the UK or in Italy for Haas. Um, so here in, in the, the Haas F1 shop here, it's more like an administrative office. Um, but I think it's difficult for, you know, the F1 engineers to have like an overlap with the NASCAR engineers just because it's, it's so different, you know. Um, there's, it's two different series. And uh, once the season starts, for example, it's like, it's even hard for those guys to communicate because they're they're so busy. I mean, it's nonstop, both in NASCAR and in Formula One. Okay, I know you got to go, but I have one final question. What are your thoughts on Michael Andretti's effort to start a Formula One team from scratch? Uh, I think you know. I think it's great. Um, I would love to see uh, you know Andretti and another team in Formula One uh, as a driver. When you have another team in Formula One, it's another opportunity to be able to. To race in Formula One, you open more doors. You go from 20 cars to 22 cars, and uh, it's more chance for young drivers to to make it into F1. And uh, you know, personally, I, I think it would be great if if they were able to to do it. Uh, you know, to to be able to race in uh, in Formula One and have a team in F1. Um, obviously, I think some of the teams, you know, have have concerns of. Uh, and I, you know, I see what the teams are saying, you know, they, they have concerns and kind of making sure that every uh, new entry that comes in will provide, you know, benefits for all the teams that have been there for, for many years. Um, uh, so I see how, you know, some teams are a bit cautious and stuff with new entrants trying to come in, but I'm sure, uh, I think Andretti would be a, would be a great addition. All right. It's been great talking with you, Pietro. I know you have to get to a team meeting. I really appreciate you taking the time. Good luck this season and into the future. We'll see you at Seabury. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Thank you, Bob. Cheers. Nice job, Mr. Varsha. As usual, he's such a nice guy. But, hey, we're going to go straight to break. Yeah. And when we come back, we'll talk a little IndyCar testing. And we'll hear from Jonathan Green down in New Zealand. You're listening to Sunday Night with Speed City. Back after this. Motivation USA, catering to the sport bike enthusiast looking for truly unique parts and accessories. Stand out from the crowd. Motivation is the exclusive North American distributor for SC Project MotoGP inspired exhausts and the largest Rizoma retailer in the United States. Get the best parts from around the world at the best prices with fast shipping and a knowledgeable staff ready to help. Shop online 24-7 at MotivationUSA.com. That's MotivationUSA.com. If you want to know where the path to Formula One and Indy begins, it's three simple letters, VRD. VRD Racing of Atlanta, Georgia are dedicated to nurturing young, single-seater drivers on their quest to the pinnacle of motorsport. Having just wrapped up the team's championship title in 2021 in the F4 US Championship, they also have programs in FR Americas, the all-new USF Juniors, and the road to Indy. VRD is the perfect environment for success. To join the team, drop them a DM on Instagram at Velocity underscore RD. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. 
After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, this is Kurt Busch. You're listening to Speed City Radio. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. That little Kurt Busch bumper was from about 2013 when he drove his NASCAR at Coda, believe it or not. (laughs) That was pretty cool. That was back when the uh, Australian V8 supercars were at Coda, and he brought his NASCAR out there, and he and James Courtney swapped cars and drove around Circuit of the Americas. But, hey, let's talk some IndyCar, uh, Bob, because they did testing, and uh, it looks like Marcus Erickson was fastest overall in the combined results. You know, they they did day-to-day, but uh, Marcus Erickson, Christian Lungard uh, in second fastest, and then Kyle Kirkwood was fastest, and I've got a clip from Kyle that we'll play. But, you know, some of the usual suspects – uh, at at the top of the timesheets, no big surprises there. Just looking all the way down. Um, one of my favorites, Connor Daly, uh, unfortunately was towards the bottom, second second from the bottom. He's down there with the rookies. Come on, Connor, what are you doing, buddy? <laughs> uh, but I know it's yeah, just, it's, I know it's uh, just testing. Before we leave Kurt Busch, I, I sure hope he's able to get back on the race car if that's what he decides to do. You know, he had a heavy accident took a knock on the head and basically didn't finish the 2022 season. And I'm not sure where his health stands right now, but uh, oh, yeah. I wish him all the best. As all far right. as the IndyCar thing goes, I think we saw a lot of teams have a lot of work to do. It's great for Kyle Kirkwood and Lungard and, uh, and, and all the folks that went quickly, but there were a lot of stars, really significant drivers yeah who were not as quick as i expected them to be i uh, you know i expected a little more from scott dixon for example yeah down um, in 10th so, yeah yeah so the right. Ganassi team obviously has some work to do all right we need to let's play this clip from kyle kirkwood i got this one real quick and then uh, then we'll hear from jonathan but let's hear from kyle kirkwood first you know i mean and i was excited last year i th- i my entire goal last year was to take a car that everyone knows is is usually mid pack or towards the back right and put it up front that was that was always a goal of mine and that was exciting for me but it's also exciting to be in a fast car and be fast in a fast car so um there's there's benefits to both i'm, I'm just as excited as i was last year to be honest um but it, it i'm definitely leaving this place in a happier happier spot than most of last year all right well it's gonna be fun to watch the indycar this year but let's hear from jonathan green down in new zealand The green down in New Zealand, my friend. How are you, buddy? Doing good. We are four weeks, one month into the season, and it's been fast and furious, quite literally. Well, give us an update. Who's leading and what do we got left? Well, we have one more round to go this weekend in a place called Taupo, which is an old volcano, uh, which is now a lake. So it, it, it's inverted, and the lake is sub three or 400 feet deep, but a great trout lake and a great destination. Um, and we are going to the Taupo circuit. Uh, we have three races left in the championship. Um, and there's an almighty battle going on uh, out of this weekend, which was the Grand Prix weekend. We had three races, and now there is just 10 points between the two leaders, Charlie Wurtz of Austria, the son of Alexander Wurtz, and young Kiwi Callum Hedge, who is 10 points behind. And then comes the young American, still in contention, but a few more points behind, uh, Jacob Abel from Louisville, Kentucky, who is a for a, a, a Indy Lights driver. Oh, awesome. That's fantastic. We have an American up so high in uh, third position. What about the other Americans? The other Americans are doing good. Ryan Sheerhan is in the top 10. Um, given that this is his rookie year, he's done a really good job. No real big mistakes. Uh, Morales, who I know you've had on the show, he won a race at the beginning of the season, but has been running pretty much midfield throughout. 
Um, but he's going to get some big super license points. He's still in the top six. And then Chloe Chambers, of course. Uh, again, another rookie. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, who's doing well. Um, and not changing the world, particularly. Um, getting ready for the next W Series, if it happens. She's already got a signed contract with Jenna Racing again. Um, uh, so, yeah. Just learning and making her way. What about the New Zealand Grand Prix? Uh, that's always a, a prestigious thing. That the names of the winners, if you go back in history, is pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean it's a it's an event that goes back to 1950, uh, and the likes of Sterling Moss, Graham Hill, John Surtees all won it. Um, and it really is, certainly in New Zealand terms, this was the 67th running. Uh, and if you know your Grand Prix, there's only two uh, races outside of Formula One that are allowed to be called Grand Prix, and that is Macau and the New Zealand Grand Prix. So very prestigious. It was actually won by a young Dutchman, 17-year-old Lauren Van Hopen, who just arrived this week, uh, wasn't expecting to be in the Grand Prix, um, but decided to come over and really stole the show. There were two new entries, Louis Foster, who's also the uh, uh, Indy Pro 2000 champion. He's an Englishman, and he'll be in Indy Lights um, this, or Indy Next, as they're calling it, uh, this season, but a really good driver uh, from England. And then this uh, Lauren Van Hopen, uh, who is a 17-year-old Dutchman, and he is the protege and mentor mentored by Nick DeVries. Ah. Hey, I want to step back to Jacob Abel. You know, he's running third. He's an American, and he's uh, he's, got a, he's been through USF4, and he was, what, in the uh, Indy Next, in the old Indy Lights, and finished eighth last year, right? But I, I'm going to keep an eye on him because, I mean, running third right now, he could still win it, couldn't he? Yes, he could. And what I've learned in uh, the Toyota Racing Series, one DNF is all it takes. You get 25 points for a win. It's a reverse uh, top eight for race two. So if you win the first race, you're going to start eighth uh, for the second race, which isn't easy. And then the longer feature race is the third race of the day. So, you know, there's a, a still a, another good 75 points up for grabs. Um, so, yeah, long way to go, even though it's just one weekend. So I've seen it come down to a couple of points here and there. So it's always getting intense. And now they've been racing and practicing for four weeks in a row. So there's a bit of mental fatigue as well coming in, as well as physical fatigue of that much racing. Over 3,500 kilometers of racing. So you can see why Jacob Abel, when he arrives at St. Pete, will have a huge advantage over the competition who've been sat in the freezing weather in Indianapolis all winter. Uh, hey, let's move on. Jonathan, while you were gone uh, halfway around the world, there was a little bit of an announcement in here in the States with Formula One. Uh, I'm sure you haven't heard anything about Ford, have you? No, and this little company with a blue logo, I think uh, <laughs> they've been in Formula One before. I think they've won 155 Grand Prix with their engines over 16 years of competition <laughs> in the 80s. Uh, yes, I think I think the blue oval is a welcome return to Formula One. Last with Jaguar, which ironically was or became Red Bull. So there's a sort of coming <laughs> yeah. home to roost. Yeah. Hey, did, you said you caught up with, uh, with a Ford guy there in New Zealand, I guess. Yeah, manager director of Ford New Zealand, Simon Rutherford, came to the race. Uh, an interesting um, guy to come because we were also doing the Formula Ford uh, Championship. I was doing commentary on that. And, of course, Liam Lawson, Scott Dixon, uh, Brendan Hartley have all been Formula Ford champions. And just as Formula Ford is popular in America and in um, the UK, uh, it's just as popular down there. So they are obviously uh, sponsors of that championship. But they were talking, and he was talking quite uh, uh, interestingly about the Red Bull decision, but also how, of course, Alfa Tori is part of that decision. So Ford engines will be in four cars come 2026. Yeah, Jonathan, we are super excited in that. But look, I know you. we don't have much time for you. I really appreciate it. I uh, I know that uh, this has been a whirlwind for you, and you be when will you be coming home, my friend? I am coming home a week after the championship's over on the 21st and going literally hop, skipping and a jump, change your clothes and off to Sebring for the first round of Trans Am. Awesome. All right, Greeny. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks for guys. Have a good show. All right, guys, we're out of time. We've got to go. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Thanks, Mr. Varsha. And we'll talk to everybody next Sunday night.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.